Well, Steve, I have a question. We're here in Exodus, and what happens, it's been your experience, what's happened to people that are just bound and determined to stop God's ways and God's people? What happens to people like that? Well, generally, they're frustrated in doing that. They're confounded in doing it. Are are they happy people? No, they're not happy people, and many times uh, not so good things happen to them. And that's what we're going to find today. We're, we're in the first chapter of Exodus, and welcome to our guest. But we're here, we're going to be starting in Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. And we have here Pharaoh, who is determined to stamp out God's people and stamp out God's ways. And in fact, most of, the, at least a lot of the first half of the book of Exodus is this contest between the true God, Yahweh, and Pharaoh and, and the false gods of Egypt. And it's as God will demonstrate, it's not really much of a contest. No. Because he is in control for the entire entire way. Right. And so that's what we have here is Pharaoh starting to try to really tighten the screws down on the people of Israel. Because what we have here is Pharaoh, if you were with us last time, he was trying to get rid of the people of Israel. And here in this next section. He's going to really try to do it. He's going to step up his game here to try to, he's getting very serious here to try to, to get rid of him. So let's read in Exodus chapter 1, starting at verse 15 and going down to 22. Can you read that, Steve? Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shapira, and the other was named Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, If it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Okay, so Steve, this is the start of this contest, between this struggle, really, between God and his people and Pharaoh and the false gods. And so in verses 15 and 16, what was the command that Pharaoh gave concerning the people of Israel and the midwives? When they were giving birth, they were to note whether or not it was a boy or a girl. And if it was a boy, they were to kill the boy or to let him die. And if it was a girl, they were, they were supposed to let him live. So it doesn't say in the text why just the boys, but it's not too hard to figure out. So why would you say, Stevie, you wanted to kill just the males? Well, those are the ones that, that end up being the warriors and the fighters. And that was his paranoia. He was worried that they would 
if other countries came against Egypt, he was worried that they would join forces with him. So you don't want to have the males in that particular situation. The males are the warriors and the fighters, and those are the ones that bring in the ethnic identity. See, the women could be servants and not be warriors and could ultimately intermarry and mingle into Egyptian society. And ultimately, again, if you kill all the males, there's not going to be another generation. Yeah. And so it would essentially wipe out all of the Jews from, from Egypt. So that was the command in verse 15 and 16. Did they comply? He, he commanded these midwives, kill the male babies. No. And so did the, in verse 17, did they comply? No, they didn't. And, and in fact, they did just the opposite. They did not kill the male babies at all. So verse 17, they feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded, but let the boys live. Mm. So that was a very, very direct command to do this. And they just flat said, no, we're we're not going to do that. And so then in verse 18, Pharaoh asked them why the male children were not killed. And in verse 19, what was their answer? Well, their answer to them was was a fib. (laughs) Their answer to them was that, Hey, by the time we get there, the Israelite women are not like the Egyptian women, and they're robust and they're vigorous, and they have their babies quick. And so by the time we get there, they've already had the children, and therefore we we couldn't be able to uh, do what you commanded us to do. Not sure they could keep a straight face <laughs> when they said that, but that nevertheless, that was the answer. Right. So they did two things. They disobeyed Pharaoh. Right. And then when he asked them why, they told a lie. Right. Right. Now, verse 20, how did God respond to the midwives? He blessed them. He blessed them. Yeah. So here's the question. How could that be? Because is there, I mean, we're in, in, in ver- verse chapter 20. Chapter 20, we're going to get a command <laughs> that made the top 10 list, which said what? You shall not lie. Shall don't, not lie. don't bear false witness. And so we have here the civil government. Mm-hmm. namely Pharaoh, giving a law to do something, and they disobeyed the law, and they also, when they got caught on it, they, they told a lie. Yeah. But nevertheless, verse 20, how did God do? He blessed them right, because of that. So what's the moral dilemma here, Steve, obviously, and, and, and how could this be? Well, it's— How do it, we reconcile it, it comes about whenever the worldly or the civil government is doing things that are in direct contradiction to what God wants. And it says here that the Egyptian wives, they feared God. They were God-fearing people, and so they obeyed God. We saw it also in Acts whenever Peter was told by the Jewish leadership, hey, we told you to stop going out and preaching in the name that Jesus was resurrected. you got, you got to quit that. And Peter's reply back to him was, we're going we're gonna to keep doing it because that's what God has told us to do. When it comes down to us doing what you tell us to do to stop and God telling us to keep on going, we're going to do what God tells us to do. That's what these midwives did. Uh, and another one is Joshua chapter 2, the story of Rahab. Remember Rahab? Mm-hmm. The two Hebrew spies were hiding right. at, at her place, and the soldiers came in and said, bring them out. And she told a lie to protect yeah, their lives. She said they had already left. So we have here a system of ethics. Mm -hmm. Whenever a civil government gives a law, we are to obey that law. 
Mm-hmm. We're to obey the law, even if it's uncomfortable, if the taxes are high, or it's, you know, they, they give some some law that I don't like, it's inconvenient. Doesn't matter. We are to obey the law unless. Mm-hmm. And what's the unless? If it violates God's law. Right. And in the case of Exodus chapter 1, it was against God's law to murder innocent babies. It was, against, in Rahab's case, it was against God's law to murder innocent Hebrew people that was in her thing. In your example, Steve, in Acts, with Peter that gets arrested, it's against God's law to stop telling people about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so we should use this as a system of ethics. There are greater and lesser sins, and the greater ones outweigh the lesser in the sense that a greater sin is to kill somebody than to tell a lie about it or to disobey the civil government. And so that's our system, is that we obey the law unless it violates God's law, in which case we have to obey God. Yeah. And so with that, I think, Steve, we should take that and really think about it, because what ends up happening is we too get in these moral dilemmas. I mean, the people in back in Bible days, no different than us. Right. There, there comes days when, I mean, there, you and I have seen, Steve, There's we've lived at a time where civil government passed laws that said churches can't meet. I mean, it's it's that way in any given country and somewhere in the world at any given time. Right. And so there's civil laws. I mean, I've, I've heard missionary stories from people that said they had to meet the secret I mean, I've been places where they said, hey, if the police bust in here, then here's what you're supposed to say. Right. And things like that. So we have to anticipate a world that doesn't like us. Right. And they don't they don't like us because of not because of us, because of our message. They don't like the message of Jesus Christ. Right. And any Christian should anticipate what you would do if the civil law says break God's law. Right. And like you said, we should be prepared for that. So if we're if we're doing something that is uh, God fearing, and we're doing something that God has called us to do, that that might break a civil code, but also maybe another type of uh, rule or something like that, we should be prepared to answer for it in regards to what's going on. And of course, the best answer for it is is not to necessarily give something else, but do like Peter did and just say, oh, I fear God. Now, flesh this out for us in a practical, modern-day example that, that we could use. It's directly out of Exodus chapter 1. We have, in our day, a modern sin called abortion that kills babies. Just like in Exodus 1, Pharaoh commanded these midwives kill these babies. So how do we apply that to our day? It works like this. If there was a civil law, and right now I don't know of one that says this, but if there were one that commanded a woman to kill her child, Mm -hmm. then we would have to violate that law. Right. On the other hand, if there's a civil law that says somebody, which is the case today, someone can voluntarily Mm -hmm. go kill their child, that's different. We do not have moral grounds to go and violate the law because somebody else morally decides to to sin. And the reason I bring this up is because, I don't know if you remember, Steve, but a few years back, there were some people that, that maybe had a good intention, but they were they were going too far. 
they were they were bombing abortion clinics, mm-hmm. and that's wrong. And the reason it's wrong is because we're not forced to go have abortions. Right. If it was a forced abortion, then we could say, okay, now we can break the civil law because that's that's violating God's law. On the other hand, if they just allow people to go murder a baby, then that's different. But again, the what is the what is the civil law? We obey the civil law unless it violates God's law. And having voluntary child killing, which is abortion, doesn't force me to break God's law. Right. That also mean doesn't mean that we shouldn't speak out against it. And I know I know that you agree with that. So right. you know, abortion is just that is killing uh, a life, and uh, that we we should speak out against it. We should be more like the midwives, and fear God, right, and less like Pharaoh. So then, verse twenty-two, it says there Pharaoh increased the violence against the Jewish people. Verse twenty-two says Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying. Every son who is born to you are cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Right. Right. So here's a question, Steve. What happens if we don't have God or his word as a moral guide? What happens to us if we don't have God or God's word as a moral guide? What, what ends up happening to us? Well, we, we we become conformed to the world, and we do we do what the world says is is the correct thing to do, or what they sanction. And as we know, the world is opposed to God altogether. Lest we think we are too civilized to fall into something this bad, lest we think we're too civilized. Look at the progression here in Exodus chapter one. The first of it, he starts mistreating them, giving them with with hard labor and rigor. Then he commands the midwives to kill them. Then by the verse 22, he's commanding everybody Uh, to kill them. Mm -hmm. And so there's a progression there. And the progression happens through, in this case, the symbol of anti-God, which is Pharaoh, because he doesn't have God's word. And so what happened in our day? Same kind of progression. And where we are in the cycle is that we've allowed people to to kill their children, but there's people now that that are advocating this as we make this that are advocating killing babies after they're born, just because you want to. Right. And I submit, if we don't return to God, we will ultimately fall down the same path that Pharaoh is, and there will be commands to do so at some point. Now, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I can see what happens to a nation when they give up God. We are not so civilized that we will not end in the same type of sins that happened with any of these other countries that abandoned God. You know, God is unchanging, and his standards are unchanging. It's like an anchor that anchors a ship. It's it's very steady. Whereas the world and the societies, they change throughout the generations. They change throughout the years and over the, the decades and, and centuries. They change. They constantly change. And so what what is a standard one day or one year maybe might be something different hundreds of years from now. And, and so you, the world blows with the wind. Mainly, I think it has to do with, with Satan influence on the world, that the more the influence that Satan has, the further he takes him away from God. And so that's why the world standards change. And so what you might think today is okay 
and you might say something else is wrong to do, believe me, at some point in time in the future, society is going to say, oh, no, that's okay. You can do that now. And so you can't trust something like that. You can't. It's like shifting sand. You just can't trust it. And you definitely don't want to build anything that has a foundation that can fall on shifting sand. Doesn't make sense. And we're seeing just some of the craziest things. It's almost, you know, there was a a guy wrote a book a few years ago trying to exaggerate the sins that would happen by abandoning God. And he said at the time, I'm really struggling finding examples that will shock people. And now that book is old hat, doesn't shock people because Mm -hmm. those things have actually come about. Right. And so it, it got so severe, this word rigor that was in this passage, God brought Israel out of that to the point where he, later God compares this this time in, in Egypt. He says, it was like you being in a furnace, an, an iron smelting furnace, some of the translations describe it. So we have here God and his people in a bad situation. God's people are in Egypt. They're in what he later describes as like being in a furnace. And, I mean, God knew all these things way back in Abraham's day, right? 400 years earlier, he said, you're going to be in this, this uh, slavery in, in, a, in a country that's not yours. And so God knew all this all along. And so here's a question, Steve. Does God forget? Is he slow? And I submit no, right? Yeah, right. And so, he doesn't forget, no. What has God been doing here? We're going to find out in the next chapter. What, what is he doing? He's preparing a deliverer. Right. Yes, his people were in this bad spot, in this bad spot for a very long time. Right. Is God asleep? I'm no. sure there were people out there saying, God, what happened? You've forgotten about your people. You right. told us we were going to prosper. Now now they're, they're yeah. commanding us to kill our children. They are killing our children. What is God doing? He is preparing one of the greatest deliverers that the nation of Israel has ever seen, one right. that is still spoken of and lifted up to this day, which is Moses. Right. And so that's what we can be confident of today is that we will get in spots where we think, Lord, I'm in it. I'm just, they're putting me through the ringer here. I'm going through circumstances. And I'll admit some people are going through just horrible circumstances. Some of them as, as bad as anything the Egyptians experienced. Right. Has God forgotten his people? No, he hasn't. And, and we know of, of he's, he's left us of what's going to happen in the future, and we should take heed of those things that he's left us as far as what's going to take in the future. And he even tells us on his Olivet Discourse that we talked about in Matthew, these different things are going to happen, but that's okay. We shouldn't worry because all of this stuff has to come before, or all of these things have to happen before I come again. And so while we see some of these things that are happening and the world's going crazy and the different things that are that are going on, we can be assured that God isn't asleep, that he knows what's going on. He's given us a glimpse of what's going to happen in the future. And by the way, we, we win in the end. <laughs> I've read the last chapter. Yes. We being the ones who believe in, in Jesus. And, and uh, so we should take that same heed. Yes, it's crazy. Yes, it, it does. It's almost like, okay, how much longer are you going to wait? But we do know and we have hope that he is returning. So God didn't forget about his people. He did care. L- look at the timing. 
Look at the timing. In Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh comes in and increases the hard labor and the rigor. They still multiply. He responds by telling the midwives to kill him. They still multiply. He responds by saying, okay, I want everybody, every Egyptian in the country to throw these babies in the river and kill them all. Right. Then Moses is born, and he spends how many years growing up in, in Egypt? Forty. And then he spends how many years in the backside of the desert in Midian? Forty. That's 80 years after yeah. all of the commands to kill all the babies. So that's 80 years. Mm -hmm. God is preparing a man. Right. He is preparing a deliverer. And I'm sure, I mean, there's people that were born and grew up and died in all this heavy persecution. Did God forget about them? No. no. He had a plan. He's on his own schedule. He's, it's a great plan. It's a wondrous plan. It's just we don't always see it. And what can we learn from these passages back in Exodus? When we get put through the ringer, let's not lose sight. Let's trust God. He has a deliverance for us. He has a plan. He has a great plan. Yeah, and I just want to expand on what you said a little bit more, because you said God was preparing a deliverer, and here it is, 80 years uh, to when he comes and has Moses come back to Pharaoh at the time and says, let my people go. God says, let my people go. And that the people that are there going through all of that, while they're going through it, just to emphasize again or reemphasize what you said, God is working. They don't see it. They don't see it. In the retrospect, they see it just like we do. But at the time, they don't see it. And so it's something to, for us to note, too, that even though we don't see maybe what we think is God's influence in the world today, we should not give up our faith or give up our hope or think that God is not working. He's working and he knows what's going on. And that's what our faith and hope it should be in, in that he's going to make it right someday. You mentioned a while ago, Steve, that God had predicted this would happen. Well, that happened all the way back in Genesis 15, 13. Right. All the way back in Genesis 15. Right. It was way, it was 400 years earlier. And then we had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it was all the way back there in Genesis 15. God is telling Abraham, your descendants are going to grow. They're going to be in this, this foreign country, and they're going to be persecuted, but I will bless them. And so here, again, I'm, I'm sure it was, if, if I was in the shoes of the, or the sandals of these people in Exodus chapter 1, I would have been saying, God, God's fallen asleep and forgotten us. Yeah. But he has a plan, and it's a great plan. And it's a wondrous plan. And that's still the case today. Right. And that's why we go back to these places as we reason through. And so next time we're going to learn where the deliverer comes from. We're going to learn about Moses. He comes uh, from the river. And there's a great contest there between Yahweh, the true God, and one of the false gods of Egypt. And so that's one of the themes that we're going to see here in this. So we hope that you're with us as we reason through the Bible, and uh, we'll be doing that next time, and we trust that you will as well. Thank you for watching and listening, and may God bless you.